Now dig this, Matt. Y'all know I love stationery. Y'all know I love to take notes. I love to write. I love to write on paper. I love to write notebooks. Matt, what'd you get me for Christmas this year? I got you notebooks and pens and organizers. Correct. I love it. Uh, And I find that it genuinely helps me remember things better as opposed to typing them or like putting them on a, like a text file or whatever, actually writing something down physically helps me a lot. It helps me organize my thoughts. It helps me get my work done. And ever since I got my new uh, iPad and I got the Apple pencil with it, I have been doing that on there and that's great. The only problem I've had with it, it doesn't quite feel like writing on paper, which is a feeling I like. We have the solution to that problem. That's right. Paper-like. As I mentioned at the top of the show, it's a screen protector for your iPad. It uses a proprietary technology called NanoDots. With those NanoDots, you feel the natural resistance of paper on your iPad screen. It is a paper-like feeling on your iPad. So if you're drawing, if you're taking notes, if you're using your iPad like you would a notebook... Here's the way for it to really feel natural. And Chris, I know you love that. You you have an iPad, you got a paper like, and I'm sure it's it feels just right for you. It does. It feels great to use. Also, Matt, you know I'm very particular about paper. I have yes. specific brands of notebooks that I will and will not use, and paper like feels good on the iPad. Uh they also make accessories for the pencil to make the pencil a little more comfortable to hold. They make uh, accessories to help you clean the iPad as well. They've got it all. The ability to handwrite notes in a digital form is great to begin with, but getting that extra tactile feeling that makes me happy while I do it, (laughs) that gives me that little dopamine, that little serotonin burst that I like to have, is fantastic. The latest version of the Paperlike is manufactured in Switzerland using high-quality plastic foils designed for maximum picture clarity. You're not going to lose any of the definition of your iPad screen if you put a paper-like on there. And these foils are developed exclusively for paper-like products. It also always comes in a set of two, so you have a spare. Look, we know a lot of artists listen to this show. If you're an artist and you're looking for a way to make drawing on your iPad feel a little bit better... This is how you do it. So, to pick up your Paperlike, head over to paperlike.com slash Ajax, click Buy Paperlike, and select your iPad size. From now, right now, until the end of January, Paperlike is also including their Digital Pro Planner Bundle at no extra cost for every order placed through the Paperlike store. Plus, shipping is completely free. So if you're ready to do more with your iPad, head over to paperlike.com slash Ajax, to get started. Clytus, I'm bored. What plaything can you offer me today? That's War Rocket Ajax to bring back his body. And welcome to War Rocket Ajax. This is the internet's most explosive comic book and pop culture podcast, and we are your hosts. My name is Chris Sims. With me, as always, Matt Wilson. Matt, how are you? I'm all right, Chris. How are you doing? Doing okay. 
doing okay. Getting through it. It's a new month. It's February. It's uh, a lot happens in February. It's the in month. the words of North Carolina's perhaps greatest philosopher, seasons pass slowly, but years go flying by. It's true. It is the month of Black History Month. Happy Black History Month, listeners. It is the month of my wife's birthday. So it's the month of Valentine's Day. Quite quite an eventful month. My mom's birthday. Your mom's birthday as well. Yeah. A different person from my wife. Let's be very clear. This is our second shot at this bit, and it's still not good. <laughs> hey, but it is, it is a good show that we have for everybody because it's a great uh, show. Marco Stack is here with us to talk about uh, the new comic book series, The Relentless Lark, which is kind of a Legends of the Dark Knight style, same character but different stories uh, sort of book from different periods of the character. Uh, which sounds like a blast, and uh, everyone listening to this should go back it on Kickstarter. Uh, get them to their goal, because if that doesn't convince you to do it, our interview sure will. So hang around to hear from uh, from Mark later in the show. But Chris, before we do that, we have some business to take care of, as we so often do here at the top of the show. And the first bit of business is thanking our newest supporters on Patreon. That's right, Matt. Now, these are the people who they've gone all the way down to uh, 622 Gimmick Street. And Matt, you know you know what's there. You know what's at 622 Gimmick Street. Well, okay. 619 is Rey Mysterio's house. Right. Booyaka, booyaka. 621 is Kevin Nash's house. So this is what's across the street from Kevin Nash's house. Right. Diesel. It's got to be the truck stop. That's right. It's it's Kevin Nash's Kevin Nash's Magic Mike Diesel truck stop. <laughs> There's two Kevin Nashes on the sign. Yeah, two Kevin's Nash. If you need leaded gasoline, that is the place to go. Down to Kevin Nash's Magic Mike Diesel truck stop. Uh, and while you're there, you know you know he's got Kevin Nash will hook you up. He's got free Wi-Fi. Yeah, they definitely and have he, free Wi-Fi at the truck stop. You can take a shower and get on the Wi-Fi. Take a shower, get some get some audiobooks, some kind of surprisingly good pizza at Kevin Nash's Magic Mike Diesel Truck Stop. But while you're on that Wi-Fi, you can use the device of your choosing, the internet-connected device of your choosing, to go to patreon.com slash warrocketajax, where you can kick in as little as a dollar a month to help support this show, help keep expanding Gimmick Street. Help the Gimmick Street Revitalization Project. And, most importantly, help me and Matt pay those gimmicks they keep sending in the mail called bills. That's right, Chris. Our newest supporter on Patreon is Ryan Clark. Thank you, Ryan. If you would like to be like Ryan and help us out, Ryan actually helped us out at the end of the month, which is not, not necessarily common. Not Wake Up, Wake Up at the first of the month? Well, it is wake up, wake up, wake up the first of the month now, which yeah. means it's the perfect time to get on board and head over to the Patreon and and help us out there. We had been hovering around 420 backers for a while. 
we're now at 411, which means we're nine away from the funny weed number. And you can help us get back to that much coveted funny weed number on Patreon. So be one of those nine. Let's make it happen, everybody. Let's let's get back to the funny weed number on Patreon. If you are a patron, you can get extremely cool stuff. First of all, you get ad-free episodes of all of our shows. You support our shows and get ad-free episodes of all of them. This show weekly, Every Story Ever monthly, Comics Catch-Up monthly, Movie Fighters and Snack Situation, which alternates months. All of those are made possible uh, by your support on Patreon, and you get them ad-free as a patron. You can also get bonus audio on Patreon. Uh, we've I've been putting up outtakes from our episodes for two straight weeks, and we also record bonus audio occasionally. There's bonus writing on the Patreon that only patrons uh, can get. Uh, totally patron-exclusive writing by Chris and by myself. There's uh, line-stepping privileges for our segments. Lots of buzz about Thursday Night Raw, and people are definitely jumping on to line-step for Thursday Night Raw, so you want to be in that group as well. Uh, line-stepping is also for Every Story Ever, which uh, has is and remains very popular. You can also get physical rewards. I actually have a t-shirt packaged up and ready to send to Canada right now in my office. Uh, the 2023 t-shirt is yet to be determined, but uh, we will definitely have something fun for our shirt for 2023. So if any of that stuff sounds like your bag, head over to Patreon and help us out. If you're unable to help us monetarily on Patreon, you can definitely help us out in other ways. First off, you can leave us a five-star review on the podcasting app that you use, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever it is that you get your podcasts. If you leave us a five-star review, that would be extremely helpful. You can also just tell your friends about the show, spread the word, get the word out. That uh, would help grow our audience as well. And the tight-knit community of War Rocket Ajax fans. Chris, with that, Let's do some checks and wrecks. What do you say? Let's do it. Chris, I know you were uncertain about to, what to check in with this week, so I wonder what you landed on. You don't have to. You don't have to pull the curtain back, Matt. Make it sound like I'm unprepared for the show. No, I t- <laughs> it's not a matter of being unprepared. Sometimes I have no idea what I'm going to talk about either, just because I'm like, what did I do? <laughs> I mean, look, you're right, and I was, but still. <laughs> I, I, I was trying to build mystery. <laughs> All build right, suspense. Well, the mystery shall now be revealed. <laughs> I saw some orchids this weekend, Matt. Nice. It, it, you know what? It was nice. I, I'm, I'm very into getting into like nature stuff. When we get to the interview, we're going to talk about birds, and now you're talking about flowers. Love it. Love it. Folks, if we should set a Patreon goal where we'll say "fuck it," stop reading comics, and just it's birds, birds wow. and flowers, birds, flowers, all nature stuff for you and me. Uh, but yeah, uh, it, as you know, it's fucking cold. Uh, it was. 
I got got up in the morning uh, on Monday and went to go get some coffee at uh, my local neighborhood socialist coffee shop. And, buddy, it was negative 12 degrees. I didn't know that. I didn't check the temperature before I I went out to buy coffee. But that's how cold it was on Monday. That's like negative. That's a that's negative a lot in Celsius as well. But negative yeah. twelve degrees, bud. Yeah, I oh, I remember mornings in Chicago where it was that cold. When I would be walking to the L to go to work, and my breath, I would breathe out, and the condensation would come back into my beard and freeze in my beard. Yeah. That's the worst. I I hate that. <laughs> Buddy, it, it was rough. Yeah. It was not fun. But over the weekend, AC and I decided, hey, it's cold. They're doing a uh uh like a like a outdoor like winter carnival, but we don't really want to do that because it's very cold out. But they're also doing an orchid festival at an indoor conservatory. And so we went and we saw some lovely orchids. Uh, apparently it used to be considered a very uh, horny flower. Mm-hmm. Which, like, I mean, I can see it, but people in the past needed to chill on so many things. Look, people in the past did not have the internet. They didn't have OnlyFans that they could, could subscribe to. Yeah, and I'm just so, saying people in the past needed to chill on a lot of fronts, including being like, that flower's too horny. <laughs> <laughs> they had to get their horny content where they could, and some of it was looking at flowers. <laughs> I guess. It couldn't be me, though. I was very respectful and chastely looking at these uh, flowers. They were very pretty, uh, and I liked it. But if you're feeling a little down, if you've got those those winter blahs, you know, we are, uh, uh, AC has informed me that we are halfway between uh, the uh, winter solstice and the vernal equinox. Uh, so maybe you're feeling a little down, maybe you need uh, some nature. Go look, go find an indoor flower and look at it. It's a good time. It'll be nice. What is your check this week? I if have got a, one. I have a set of mini checks. I actually have multiple unbelievable, checks. Unbelievable that you would treat me this way. <laughs> 13 years we've been doing this. First of all, thank you to our listeners for informing me of a printer to buy. My new printer arrived today. My new brother printer that I bought because Shaq lied to me. Shaq lied to you? Yeah, I had the Shaq printer. The the printer I had before this one was the Shaq printer. And he told me that I could just fill and chill that printer. I filled it. But it was not chill. I'm so unfamiliar with what you're talking about that I think you might have had a dream. (laughs) I have not. There is a printer, and there's an Epson brand printer that Shaq is the spokesman for. And it comes with, instead of like ink cartridges, you fill it with these like, you fill these ink reservoirs with ink. And so the tagline that Shaq says for the printer is fill it and chill or fill and chill. And I filled it. I never changed the ink in that printer once, which was fine. Great. But then it just fucked off and stopped working. 
it wasn't the ink that was the problem. It was it wouldn't feed paper through anymore. And then when I tried to open it, it fell apart. Like literally fell apart as soon as I opened it up. That was not chill. Shaq lied to me. I gotta say, I do I do kind of love that Shaq are, who we're a noted noted fans of. Yeah. He will go to bat for like a third place business. Shaq will sincerely hawk any product. <laughs> it's very funny. The general? You know he loves the general. He does love the general. Look, okay. Fans of the show on our Discord recommended this printer to me. It's very nice and very good. I printed off a shipping label in it today, and even though it is not recommended to print labels in it, it printed a label just fine, <laughs> which is great. Uh, I am quite pleased so far with my new uh, not Shack endorsed printer. It is a brother printer, and uh, I appreciate our fans for uh, telling me the printer that I should get, which I needed a scanner as well, and I used the scanner today, and it's also working just great, just fine. Chris, also, I started playing on your recommendation and the recommendation of, shockingly, Benito Sereno, Vampire Survivors. Yeah. I'm playing it on iOS, and it actually plays just fine on iOS. It does get a little unwieldy when you start getting into the runs that are like 20 minutes, half an hour, where it's like, I've been sitting here moving around this character on my phone for a long time now. Uh-huh. But I I am enjoying it. I it is I am sort of reaching the point in the game where I'm like, okay, what is the point of this? Like what is the end game here? And I know there kind of isn't one, but I, I am enjoying still the act of playing. I am surprised that I haven't seen it compared to the game that I think it is most like, though. Okay. Gauntlet. Yeah. I think there's, there's more than a little gauntlet in there. There's a lot of gauntlet in there. There's no exit, like in Gauntlet. But the waves of enemies coming at you, and like having different characters that have different weapons that you can upgrade and stuff, that's Gauntlet. Yeah. It's it's very gauntlet. It's it's got like the the Castlevania coat of paint. But the gameplay itself, gauntlet all the way, baby. Yeah. Very much so. Uh there is I mean, there is a final boss in that game. And the way the final boss is presented is Cut is great, honestly. It is fascinating. Okay. Uh, and there's a lot of cool stuff. There is... I, I finally unlocked everything. Uh, I can't get the... Like, the... Some of the magic spell stuff to work. Uh, but I did get all the unlocks that are, like, listed under... As unlocks in there. Uh, so I kind of feel like I'm done with it. But I still want to keep playing it. <laughs> it's it's a very fun way it is all you do is move you know yeah 
All you uh, do is move. All you do is move and eventually become like you don't even have to do that at a certain point. The game plays itself. I do think it is like I I'm interested in some of the progression stuff that I still have to do, but I have to get over the hump of like I'm playing the same two or three levels over and over again. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's what was kind of like uh, like bounced me off of it the first time was that feeling of okay, well, what do I have to do to get out of this this one forest level where there's not a whole lot of stuff? And once you clear that, you're you're pretty much golden. I've cleared the forest, but I'm I'm trying to like upgrade characters and stuff, so I keep going back to the forest to like incrementally upgrade. You know what right. I mean? Yeah, and that stuff can get like a little tedious. The grinding can get tedious. Yeah, but you. Know, but at this point, you know what you have to do. Yeah, you you, yeah. you get what the 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 goals are. Yeah. Uh, so that's going on. Also, I just wanted to mention that last episode I had not watched any of Poker Face, and now I've watched four episodes, and I got up to the one that has our close personal friend John Darnell. Oh, our close personal friend and friend of the show. Yeah. I didn't know uh, three and four were out yet. Oh yeah, the, the, right. three, the first four all hit at once. There are now five episodes available. Uh, Chris, you're going to love three and four because I three three is all about barbecue. Okay, it's about Texas barbecue, but it's fine. It's about barbecue. You know, I'll take what I can get. And three is about a metal. I'm putting metal in quotes. Band that includes John Darnell of the Mountain Goats. Is, is it the best ever death metal band out of Denton? Uh, pretty much. I mean, there are elements, there are parts in that episode where John Darnell is just like singing and playing a t- guitar, and it's just Mountain Goats songs. <laughs> like, not hey, actual. That sounds like great television. Yeah, not actual Mountain Goat songs, but like. They sound like Mountain Goat songs. Let me uh, ask you a question, and due to the nature of the show, I don't consider this to be a spoiler. Okay. Uh, but is John Darnielle the killer in that episode? That is a complicated answer. Interesting. Okay. Because, see, here's the thing. Sometimes you're watching, like, a Columbo, and you're like, oh, cool, this one has Johnny Cash in it. And then it turns out that Johnny Cash is both the murderer and a pedophile. Yeah. In the show. in the Playing a character. Playing playing a character, who is it's a hard it's hard to enjoy his performance as Johnny Cash. Both episodes three and four play with the format a little bit, okay, and both pull the same trick where there's not just one killer. Okay, that's all I'll say. Uh, Yeah, I did really like that. By like. Episode two, it's like, how can we tweak this formula? And it's like, well, I got to solve this crime in in three hours. Yeah, I mean, th- she's on a timer every episode. Yeah, but also she gets a lot more involved in the stories than like Columbo ever did. Mm-hmm. She's an active participant in a lot of the stories. Yeah, which is both cool and disorienting. <laughs> I'm telling you, man. What if what if Columbo was Jim Rockford? That's that. That's that show. And it it's really great. Is. Uh, and those are all my mini checks. So, Chris, it's time for recommendations. What do you have to recommend, Matt? 
you remember uh, maybe like last year, maybe year before, uh, I recommended uh, the video game for the Nintendo Switch, uh, available on multiple platforms, but that's how I played it. Uh, Dragon Ball Z Kakarot, uh, which is the kind of open world action RPG Dragon Ball Z game uh, that takes you through the the story of uh, Goku's life and deaths. Uh, in a, a really, you know, fun way that, uh, is meant to echo the anime. Like when you get to the, a chap, the end of a chapter in the game, it does like a next time on Dragon Ball Z and then rolls the entire credits, uh, before the next chapter of the game starts. It's pretty fun. If you remember that I recommended that, you might also remember that I, uh, recommended the, uh, full version that had the little bit where you play as Trunks, uh, in the future. Cause Trunks is Cable. And I love the sentence, Trunks is Cable, because it makes perfect sense to a lot of people and no sense to everyone else. <laughs> uh, well, Matt, that game came out. That game came out a hot minute ago. Yeah. Uh, do you know what is brand new? Hit me. Uh, here is, here's what's... Let me, let, let me get you some numbers. What's the new hotness? Uh, the... The the video game came out. Well, I guess it. No, that can't be. Hang on, Matt. I'm getting you numbers. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm gotta bring you, me the numbers. I'm getting you some numbers. I'm getting you some digits. Uh, okay, this video game came out in September of 2021. So a little over, you know, a, a year and maybe almost a year and a half ago. Brand new hotness for right now is is the new. DLC story mode. Do you want to know about Goku's dad? Oh. Yeah, that's right, everybody. Goku has a dad. His name is Bardock. Uh, Dragon Ball Z Kakarot Bardock Alone Against Fate is the name of this DLC. It is 20 bucks, and it is a whole new story uh, about how uh, Goku has a dad who used to work for Frieza and be a real piece of shit. Uh, and then one time he got punched so hard he started to see the future. Now, here's my question. Uh huh. Goku's name is Son Goku. Yes. Full name, Full name is Son Goku. His his Earth name. Yeah. Yeah. It is a missed opportunity for his dad to not be named Dad Goku. That I assume would be his 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 Earth name. Yeah. If yeah. he had one, I don't think he gets one. So Bardock is his Saiyan name. Yes. Uh, what vegetable is that? Uh, Bardock. Bardock. Th- that's a vegetable? I mean, it's a plant. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Bardock, Bardock. root. Okay. Yeah. Sure. You know, he's out there living on planet Vegeta with all his friends. Yeah. With Nappa and... Uh, yeah. Oh, oh, buddy, you know Nappa's in here. Yeah. And you know Vegeta's in here as like a little boy. A shitty little boy. <laughs> <laughs> the Prince of the Sands. Uh, but yeah, it's it's the very definition of more of the same. But I am delighted by it in the same way that I was delighted by the rest of this game. Uh, just because you get to say things like, Goku's dad got punched so hard he started to see the future. That's and that good. is why that's why if you tell me manga is inherently superior to American comics, I'm like, yeah, kinda. I get it. 
I mean, that would happen in that same thing would happen in an American comic, though. That same story beat. I've read a lot of fucking stories with Jor-El in a map. <laughs> That's all I'll say to that. I ain't never seen that motherfucker get punked so hard he saw the future. No, not with Jor-El, but with somebody else. Matt, what is your recommendation for the people this week? Chris, my recommendation is a movie that you can watch on a streaming service. Now, at one time, we used to say that the streaming service was not a sponsor, but could be. And that's still true. But I'm they're going to have to win me over to become a sponsor now. We'll take virtually anyone's money. It's true, but like I'm not as on board with them being a sponsor because they just remove television shows now all the time. I'm talking about home box office maximum. Mm. Oh, they're not a sponsor. Oh, the mighty have fallen. They're not a sponsor. They could be, but hey, put Infinity Train back up. Yeah, there's no reason to not have it up, y'all. Come on. I mean, there is a reason. It's they don't want to pay royalties, so they took it down. But, put it back up. I still haven't watched that last season. Put it back up, please. Either, either put it back up. Or give us a lot of money. Yeah. Or both, preferably. Do what you did with Westworld and put it on Tubi. That's fine. They put Westworld on Tubi. (laughs) Wow, okay. Anyway, the movie that you can watch on Home Box Office Maximum right now is called See How They Run. A movie I've heard nobody say anything about. But it is a very cute murder mystery detective movie starring Sam Rockwell and Saoirse Ronan. It's like set in the, I think it's set in the forties or so. There's an actor who plays a very young uh, Richard Attenborough who's Mm -hmm. doing a perfect spot on Richard Attenborough impression (laughs) and also plays Richard Attenborough as kind of a dumbass. Okay. It's super funny uh, every time he shows up in the movie. Also, at uh, at the end of the movie, uh, Agatha Christie shows up and is a character in the movie. <laughs> Which is pretty good. Because it, it all revolves around a performance of the Agatha Christie uh, play, The Mousetrap. And, Chris, your boy Adrian Brody is in this. Playing what Adrian Brody has really taken up playing lately, which is like a dude who's kind of an asshole that people want to kill. <laughs> kind of love that for him. Yeah. So the the dynamic is Sam Rockwell is the like kind of grizzled older detective who doesn't really want to do the job anymore, but is sort of cursed with being good at it. And Saoirse Ronan is a rookie who is very eager, but is too quick to accuse. So there are multiple times in this movie where someone is accused and turns out, oh, they didn't actually do it. Now, let me say this right off the bat. The person who it ends up being is kind of like, Oh, oh, okay. Instead of a, oh, kind of moment. But that's also not what the movie is about. The movie is more about 
like cute character dynamics and finding clues in the mystery uh that are that are like interesting and fun and it's it's more about the chase and uh, ultimately i found it to be marlene and i found it to be a very fun movie a very fun watch so if you've seen glass onion and you need you, uh, you want to watch another kind of like mystery movie uh with a detective who's figuring out and seeing all the angles uh see how they run is is pretty fun and it's on home box office maximum chris with that it's time for us to talk about some comics what do you say let's do it we've come to the end chris of the dark web we finished we sure have and i gotta say the one story beat in this whole thing that I did not necessarily see coming was the one where Madeline Pryor was like, oh, I'm good now. I don't want to do the evil plan anymore. Yeah. Which, like, that's that's not one that you usually see. Usually people don't just bail out of their evil plans Well, she, through, once they start happening. She made up with the X-Men. That's true. But you know who didn't make up? My brother. My brother. My brother. My brother. My brother. That's right. And Riley. Woo, it's going to be Spider-Man. <laughs> I wish you would have done that at the end of the story. <laughs> uh, here's my question for you. Is this the weirdest Marvel crossover in a while? It's up there. It's up there. I, I love it, though. I, I, love I really it. enjoyed it, but it's weird that this story exists. Well, here's the weirdest thing about it to me. By the end of this, it is apparent that there will be lasting consequences of Dark oh. Web. And those lasting consequences are, there's a little bit of limbo in New York City. Yeah, there's a, there's a limbo embassy. There's a, a there's embassy? A, If I see that in Marvel Comics in three months, y'all owe me money. But in addition to there being a limbacy, there's like denizens of limbo hanging out in New York because that last page with the limbacy, the the mailbox that wants to know if anyone's got any mail that's a demon mailbox is just like in New York City. Do you think that mailbox functions as a mailbox? That is a good question. Can a mail you. carrier pick up mail from that mailbox? Yeah, is is that mailbox going to work with you? Or is it just going <laughs> to eat your mail? Or eat your hand if you stick your or hand your in hand. it. Yeah. Here's what I love. I will tell you what I absolutely love about uh Dark Web, the events of Dark Web. Uh, see, see the events of Dark Web. Uh, and that is Hallow's Eve, my new favorite character. Janine Godby? Yeah. Who character has... who can put on masks and then become the thing that is the mask? Yeah. Who has Halloween girl powers? <laughs> yeah. Where she puts on she puts on a Frankenstein mask and gets Frankenstein powers. Yeah. That that's great. That's, That's great. genius. 
should yeah. this entire thing have come out in October? But the wild thing about it is that it's set at Christmas. Yeah. It's so it's set at Christmas, came out in February. Well, and it's been it coming out. It's, it's been coming out since December. It's been coming out since it was holiday timely. But it's ending in February and it's still set at Christmas, yeah. 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 I anyway, I love Hallow's Eve. Who can put on a Frankenstein mask and get Frankenstein powers? I I want to I want so many stories about her. We probably won't get them, but it would be great. Probably won't get them. If this was if this was 1993, buddy. If only. Uh so Zeb Wells wrote most of this event, certainly this wraparound start and finish, and then uh, the Amazing Spider-Man parts, but not the X-Men parts. Uh, the art in this issue is by Adam Kubert, who I think does a great job here, yeah. along with uh, Francesco uh, Morta- Mortarino, I believe is the name. Uh, and, I mean, look, it's it's a big fight, I, but I do like how it's not just the heroes versus villains one to one fight. It's Spider Man and Rec Rap, character find of the year, Rec Rap, who is a demon who was inspired by Spider Man, but doesn't uh-huh. really understand Spider Man. Doesn't quite get it. But he was inspired by the heroism of Spider-Man, which you know I love that. Uh, but it's it's them against Hallow's Eve and Chasm, who has been Riley. And it's the X-Men just trying to like get everything in order. And it's Madeline Pryor who has decided that she doesn't want to do the evil plan with Ben Riley anymore, but also wants to assert herself as still the queen of limbo. So all of those elements are happening at once. And the way it ends with Madeline prior being like, no, no, no demons. You don't follow Ben Riley. You follow me is pretty good shit. I really like the way this wraps up. Yeah. Um, it's there is literally a part of this where Cyclops from the X Men goes, "Yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to mess with this part. This, this is not, <laughs> not what I'm here for." Yeah, which for that dude to decide he needs to punch out, you know, it's getting weird. I have a question for you, Matt. Hit me. Does Spider Man fight so many people who are dressed up like Halloween monsters? Because spiders are also kind of a Halloween thing? That's a good question. Because, as we've said before many times, Spider-Man himself is not spooky. No. That's a good question. Spider-Man fights a lot of animal-themed villains. Fights a lot of animal-themed guys. I get that. That makes sense. A lot of animal-themed guys. But Spider-Man fights a lot of people who are dressed up for Halloween. Spider-Man fights a lot of goblins. Goblins? Uh, lit- uh, Hallow's Eve, who's a literal Halloween costume monster. Mm-hmm. A sexy cat. A sexy cat. These are all <laughs> Halloween things, Matt. Yeah. I don't know. This is a very good question. 
This is a very good question. It's always interesting to look at like how a hero's rogues gallery is themed. Yeah. I don't think Spider-Man is scary. I do think he is the superhero most likely to ask you for free candy. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's pretty true. That's pretty true. Uh, I also enjoyed the moment in here where Spider the Gold Goblin shows up along with uh, Ms. Marvel, mm-hmm. Kamala Khan. And Spider-Man says, I've never been happier to see those pumpkin bombs. And Gold Goblin's like, they're just bombs. <laughs> <laughs> they're, just, they're just bombs now? <laughs> well, that's better. That's better, yeah. <laughs> the pumpkin honestly wasn't the problem, Norman. <laughs> it's a good comic book i like it yeah where does mysterio fit he's not an animal and he's not really a halloween costume I mean, he's either kind of a halloween guy i mean i guess that's i mean i guess that's true of electro too he's, he's well electro electro i don't know electro just guy with electricity powers electro shocker those dudes are just like guys chameleon's a halloween guy Chameleon's a Halloween guy, for sure. He's all about dressing up in a costume. Morbius, definitely a Halloween guy. Uh, Morbius, the living Halloween guy. Yeah. I don't know. We got to do. We got to do like an academic paper on this. I think you want. You want to get. You want to get like a full taxonomy. Yeah. I, I think we villains. we really need to dig into the semiotics. Anyway, Dark Web is good. Dark Web's fun, yeah. Uh, next up, we're reaching the culmination of the the big Avengers story, the big Jason Aaron Avengers story here in Avengers number 65, which is all about specifically the Loki who became Avenger Prime. Because yes, Avenger Prime is Loki. But hey, he's, a very, he's a very specific Loki. He's a Loki whose Thor died, and then who sold his dad. He sold Odin, and then he decided to meet other Lokis. He's basically Loki from the television program Loki, the Walt Disney Company edition program Loki. Mm-hmm. The Walter Walt Elias Disney edition program, streaming service program. Loki from Marvel Comics. Yeah, because he met all the other Lokis. Yeah. And in doing so, he found out that every other Loki had precipitated the need for an Avengers. So he was like, well, then no Avengers. That's We gotta have no Avengers. But then he realized, oh, that was a mistake. Because, like, Galactus and the Celestials are and Thanos are out there. Yeah, it's the it's it's the old it's the old Lex Luthor problem. Like, all right, you kill Superman. Who's gonna take care of that meteor, buddy? Yeah. <laughs> Who's gonna yeah. kill Darkseid? You? Well, in this case, Loki does end up being the person who takes care of all of those things. And in doing so, he becomes Avenger Prime. To defeat all of the threats to Earth, 
he destroys Earth and kills everyone on it. And then tries to kill himself and instead is just uh, brought to the God Quarry. Y'all know about mm-hmm. the God Quarry. And then starts assembling uh, all of the Avengers, all of the greatest Avengers from throughout uh, time and all of the other dimensions, which is pretty fun. Yeah, it's good. And uh, it ends with <laughs> the only way you could escalate this Jason Aaron Avengers story about you know, the multiversal Avengers fighting the multiversal masters of evil, <laughs> more <laughs> Avengers show up. <laughs> yeah. More Avengers show up. And also all the Dr. Dooms show up. Oh yeah. They've the doctors doom. They, they've been here, but, but they're attacking. We've got all the doctors doom and all the Mephistos. Uh, and, uh, it really feels like we're getting to a, a climax here of everybody fighting everybody. <laughs> Yeah, everybody fighting everyone from across all of time and space and all the dimensions. Yep, that's what Which we're getting to. is very Grant Morrison. True. Uh, those are the two big ones I wanted to talk about, but I wanted to hit two quick things before we move on to our interview. Uh, Where Monsters Lie, number one, is the new Kyle Starks book. It is coming out from Dark Horse Comics. And it is a book about uh, a neighborhood of serial killers that are all basically the killers from various horror movies. But they live in a community in like a neighborhood with a homeowners association. (laughs) And they decided that they're all going to live here uh, to be somewhere peaceful in between their excursions out to go do their serial killing. But it is it is starting to unravel and come apart, and so that's where we start the story. Uh, the art is by uh, Piotr Kowalski, and it is super fun. I had a, a blast uh, with the first issue, and uh, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a fun time. Also, Minor Threats, the book by Jordan Bloom, friend of the show, and Patton Oswalt, friend of the show, uh, came to its conclusion with issue number four, uh, which I found to be an extraordinarily satisfying conclusion. It was kind of like the end of the thing, but also there's a twist on that. And uh, it, it's just, I, I really enjoy uh, this superhero universe where everybody's cutting loose a little more than if you were doing this in a traditional like DC or Marvel universe. And I've dug this series the whole time through. And uh, if you haven't picked it up, pick up these four issues or, or grab the trade when it's available. Cause, cause it's a super fun time. And Chris, speaking of comics that are a super fun time, why don't we talk to Marco stack about the relentless Lark? Let's do it. Chris, I feel like we have an audience that is especially suited to be interested in our sponsor, Paperlike. We do a podcast that's mostly about comic books. We have a lot of artists who listen to the show. And the Paperlike screen protector for the iPad makes writing and drawing on an iPad feel like you're writing and drawing on paper. That's right, Matt. Now dig this. I'm a note taker. 
I'm a notebook guy. I'm a stationary guy, a pen guy. But ever since I got the new iPad with the Apple Pencil, I've loved taking notes on it. The only thing that stops me is that it doesn't feel like writing on paper, which I love. I love that feeling. It's one of the reasons that I take notes so much and write down on paper. But with Paperlike, I get that feeling with the convenience, the editability, everything that I love about taking notes on the iPad with the Apple Pencil, I get with the feeling of writing on paper, which sounds so simple, but is so very nice. And if you're wondering how Paperlike makes it feel like that, they have this technology. It's a proprietary technology called NanoDots, and that creates the natural resistance of paper while you're writing on your iPad screen. It's pretty amazing. And even if you're not an artist, even if you're just a person who likes to take notes, who needs to write things down to remember them, you're going to really, I think, like the feel of having this on your iPad. And Chris, I know you've been using yours. It was so weird when I started taking notes on the iPad, because as much as I like the convenience, it's weird to see my handwriting and notice the differences between when I have that resistance and when it's moving across something so smooth. We're we're 40, you and I, right <laughs> now. Yeah. I've been writing on paper for a long time, so it took me a minute to really get used to. With Paperlike, though, I get to just have that same feeling that feels so familiar, feels so comfortable. But I get to erase when I write a letter that looks weird, which I do in paper notebooks all the time. I can never get my B to look right. You know? My my B always looks weird. What like I get it right one out of seven times. With paper, like I get the feeling of writing on paper, but I get to go back and fix it if I don't like the way that B looks. And that's nice. That's important to me. I know I sound like I'm obsessing, but that's the kind of product this is. If you are the person who obsesses over the feeling of writing on paper, like I do, then th- you will love it. The latest iteration of Paperlike is manufactured in Switzerland using high-quality plastic foils that are designed for maximum picture clarity. They're not going to obscure the image on your iPad. And every Paperlike comes in a set of two. So if you need to replace it, or if you have two iPads, you will have two Paperlikes to put on your screen. Here's what you need to do. To pick up your Paperlike, head over to paperlike.com slash Ajax, click Buy Paperlike, and select your iPad size. If you're ready to do more with your iPad, head over to paperlike.com slash Ajax to get started. This week, we are very excited to talk to a friend of the show, someone that we talked about on this year's historic and momentous and explosive Gordy Awards. He's here to tell us about The Relentless Lark, a spinoff of Young Offenders, a comic that we are fans of here on the show, uh, working with uh, artist Max Pinelli, and of course, friend of the show, letterer Jody Troutman. Marco Sack is here. Mark, welcome back to War Rocket Ajax. How are you? You know, I'm doing just fine, and that's that's a good start to the year if there's anything, because you can either go down, but you also have a lot of room to go up. How are you both doing tonight? <laughs> a lot of room to go up. 
That's all I'm doing. That's a lot of room to go on, buddy. It's been it's been January was a real special month for those of us here at on Gimmick Street, I think. Well, Mark, I'm in the midst of laying the groundwork for a comics crowdfunding project of my own. And they're they're they are anxiety creating for sure. So I'm glad to know that you have room to move up, but also, you know, you're not at the, at the bottom, like you're not totally anxiety ridden because you have a uh, comics crowdfunding project in the works. The room that I have to go up is approximately 32%. And if everyone listening (laughs) puts $5 at least into this campaign, (laughs) we'll totally, totally reach that height. (laughs) Oh yeah! I am You'll curious spend. where you got to the data on that one. How do you have uh, our listenership numbers? You know, I, I don't have that. But if there's at least at least a hundred people and they think maybe I go in and get some older books too, this could happen. This could happen. <laughs> but no, I've, I'm a Patreon supporter. I I know. Well, I honestly, if. Everyone listening to this contributed five dollars. You would succeed and smash uh, your goal. So everyone listening should do that. Um, I think as of the release of this episode, you will have around ten days left on on the Relentless Lark on Kickstarter. So uh, anyone in the sound of my voice right now <laughs> who exists in the relative span of time that I do, uh, please go go contribute to the Relentless Polark because this is a very very cool looking book. I I feel like people just need to see that cover to feel a certain way uh, about it uh, among the War Rocket Ajax audience. I'm very glad to hear that uh, Max Pinelli, uh, the the artist on the first issue. Uh, was just a total find on this one. It was recommended to me by someone that I had talked to about doing the issue. And his samples were just uh, bonkers. Blew me away. I w- it was a shame that the plan for the series was uh, that each issue was a different artist because I would have loved to have him on an entire book. But silly old me, I miss things like Legends of the Dark Knight where you just had all kinds of rotating art teams and kind of wanted to get that feel for this book too. Okay, th- th- that... Now you have me thinking about Legends of the Dark Knight. <laughs> <laughs> Are you not always? I mean, I know I'm thinking about Prey at least twice a day. I mean, look, I, I you know, you know me. I cycle through thinking about Legends of the Dark Knight, thinking about Shadow of the Bat, thinking about uh, Batman Chronicles, the the quarterly book for when there were fifth weeks. They could still Ooh. have one on the stands. What is it about that format? Is it just like the idea that you're getting? something that is all unified in terms of like a story in terms of a character, but you're getting different takes like that, that you get, I don't know, like more, more, more comics per year. (laughs) You get more different (laughs) comics per year. There are a few reasons why I'm pursuing this format for this issue. I mean, this series, Uh, the first issue is drawn by Max Pinelli. It's just a straight up action punch fest with a couple pro wrestling moves thrown in. Uh, so again, if you're a listener to this show, I am targeting you specifically with this book. 
Uh, you want to see what that splash page is going to be. Uh, and then our second issue by Kaylee Rowena is uh, like a gothic horror story taking place at a haunted mansion during a masquerade. Uh, and then our third issue by Becca Kubrick is completely different. It's a thriller. It's a survival story set during a blizzard. I sent uh, Becca uh, links to where to buy copies of Whiteout so they can see Steve Lieber's artwork and reference it because that book is a masterpiece because Steve Lieber's a genius. Uh, but the reason why I wanted this format was I'm incredibly jealous of what a character like Batman can do with its longevity. Where you know Batman's been drawn by so many different styles. Someone like Norm Brayfogle could draw him in like five different styles, which is just rude, honestly. And mm-hmm. that jealousy made me think, well, I can't match that publishing history, but I can cycle through different genres and different artists telling one story and kind of create the feeling of history, hopefully, kind of expand what this world is. Because, uh, you know, like we said, it's a spinoff of Young Offenders, which is drawn by Mike Becker, who has just like a great animated style. Uh, and now this is a chance to kind of expand what styles can exist in this world. and hopefully keep that consistent by having the same character throughout. You mentioned not having the longevity of Batman, which all but one superhero. <laughs> you know, you could say that about most comic book characters. It's, so it's interesting to me that you would like gravitate towards this and speed run it. I like I, I think it's I think it's a bold move and I like it. I like that you're speed running uh Legends of the Dark Knight. I think it's great. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm just very impatient and uh with the way indie comics are, you might not get more than three issues. <laughs> Buddy <laughs> two people you don't need to tell. Yeah. Well, Mark, I I, f- I find it interesting to think about this format right now. At the point in time where, at least on TV, there seems to be this sudden rediscovery of episodic storytelling. You know? Like, oh, yeah. We went through this period, this 20 year period of like everything having to be serialized and everything having to have a meta plot and everything having to have a season arc, you know? And now. We've we've cycled back around to, hey, what if episodes were self-contained? What if there was a story in an hour of TV or half an hour of TV? And I feel like that that's been the appeal of books like Legends of the Dark Knight or or Shadow of the Bat or you know, not not necessarily single issue stories, but like these self-contained stories where it's like an episode. It's like an episode of Batman that you're reading. And it's, it's just interesting to me that that was kind of like the way you decided to approach this book as that seems to be kind of like what's in the water as far as how stories are being presented again. So I don't, I don't know. Did, was that like conscious in any way or very conscious? Uh, I am I am someone who, uh, if I get to the end of a first issue, and I then get the reveal that they sold the comic to me on, I get so annoyed. 
Uh, it's it's a thing that happens. I know marketing is you know mostly completely separate from how these things are made. Uh, but I really want to when I'm able to, since you know indie comics tend to cost a little bit more. Uh, people have to go out of their way to find them, and with the way those economics are, you might not get to make more. Uh, I really want each unit of storytelling that someone gets to be a full unit, whether that's a single issue or a collection that I put together later, like when Mike and I put together the uh, Young Offenders paperback. Uh, I really want that to feel like it has value and is complete in and of itself, even if you know there's a little bit of a note leading into the next story. I still want them to get the impression that there was an entire thing that happened here. There was something that was learned, and they got to see some really cool artwork along the way. Otherwise, I just don't know why they would come back for another one uh, unless I'm like a really, really, really good writer, uh, which I would like to be. But I, I can't hook them on that idea uh, without hoping that I've given them some closure that makes them think I can actually tell a story. You used a phrase that I've used a lot over the years, talking about this very same thing, which is unit of storytelling. And the idea that you have to write and create for what you are trying to get me to buy. Like, exactly what you just said. And I like, I feel like there's something in the idea that, and, and, and this goes back to the last time you were on the show and we were talking about influences, and, and you and me and Matt all kind of, like, being into the same comics. We went through the dark times of decompression. <laughs> And, like, Matt, you and I have talked about this for years. It's that, it, it's that unit of storytelling conversation. Like, you got to give me something in every issue. Like, I don't mind an ongoing story. I don't mind uh, a story that takes a while. I like a 12-issue series just as much as the next person. But you got to give me something every time. And as a creator, do you find that to be, like... The, the challenge that you take on because you are also a reader and because you you know that that's what you like uh and and so it's just like it is the job it is the it is the digging a ditch of of writing the comics <laughs> or is that something where you you're you're a mark grunewald or a jack kirby where it's just like no i've got a hundred things i want to show people it's a little bit of both on, on that front. Uh, you, you never want to get too obsessed with one idea to where you spend a lot of time building it out and then don't get to execute all of it because that's just heartbreaking. I've act, I've been there. You know, I have some completed first issues that didn't take off, and you know, there's artwork and it's lettered, and uh, for whatever reason, uh, it just it didn't really click, and it meant I didn't get to do that exciting story idea I had later. So now I kind of just try and leave it all on the uh, table when I'm done. And yeah, I'm also coming at it from the perspective of a reader where, you know, I'm going through some back issue bins and I find the issue of Captain America where Steve Rogers and Diamondback go out on a date. And it's one of my favorite things I've ever read in my life. Uh, and then I realize, oh, there's little threads in here that let me know some things happened before and some things happened after. Let me go through that bin again the next day and see if I can find more and put together that story. Uh, on that level, as a reader, it's very exciting uh, because you get the illusion of that long-running story, but it's really just a couple threads. It's that like uh, Paul Levitt's paradigm uh, where the C plot goes up to the B plot, goes up to the A plot over time, and it really makes it all feel organic. So I'm, I'm hooked on that stuff as a reader. 
Mark, I feel like you and I have read the same books. Uh, DC Comics Guide to Writing? <laughs> yeah, I feel, I feel like when someone uh, references Paul Levitz's plot board, I know, I know where they found out about that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I bought a copy of that and the Guide to Inking uh, that Klaus Janssen did, and uh, very vital textbooks of comics. Yeah, like that, that DC Comics Guide to Writing, like I remember when I was first trying to figure out how writing comics worked, like I would buy anything with a script in it, like any oh, yeah. like hardcover where like the script for number one was thrown in uh, as a bonus feature. It, like uh, there was a queen and country script book that I bought. Uh, there was, you know, uh, the, the page one panel one uh, books uh, that were just, you know, reprints of, of scripts. Joy McDuffie had a bunch on his website. Uh, so yeah, like the, the, Paul Levitz's plot board and Denny O'Neill talking about uh, writing a 52-part uh, mega-series <laughs> with No Man's Land were were very influential on me. Yeah, I mean, I, I love uh, some of the craft books that have come out later. Uh, Fred Van Lenty and Greg Pak did an amazing one. Uh, mm. Brian Bendis did one, which was really insightful because it had a lot of feedback from artists he'd worked with. And that was a book more about how you collaborate with people, which was really, really informative to me as like a 19-year-old reading it because, you know, most of this is done over the internet now where you email people and you want to do right by them and also not waste their time uh, and you also want to seem professional. And that book was really helpful in that regard. Yeah, that's it's interesting to think about like getting something out of the Bendis book in the conversation about about being anti-decompression. <laughs> I mean, the funny thing is, I'm I'm a huge Bendis fan. As a you know, I'm sure you like Ultimate Spider-Man the same way that I do. Maybe, maybe not the same way. I'm kind of obsessed with that book. Uh, but that's a book that almost tricks you into thinking it's decompressed. But each issue does have it's like you know A, B, and C. It's beginning, middle, and end. Uh, he, he's like a special writer in that flow on Amazing Ultimate Spider-Man. Uh, I, I could talk about that forever, though. But that's not what we're here for. <laughs> I mean, that's interesting, because I feel like Matt and I are people who read, like, a lot of Ultimate Spider-Man and certainly, at least up to a point, enjoyed it. Uh, like, I I stuck with that book for quite a while. Uh, I didn't I didn't make it to the whole 109 Break Stan and Jack's uh, record <laughs> level. Uh, but I did read it. But any time it comes up, it's it's Peter Parker's bad haircut and the uh, graphic design is my passion logo on the cover. That's I, I recently reread the entire Ultimate Universe, and one of the hardest bits that I laughed during uh, was when David LaFuente's issues happened, and everyone decided that Peter's head looked too round, so they pulled him into a bathroom and shaved his head, uh, which was a response to fan mail about how bulbous he drew the head <laughs> of Spider-Man. <laughs> You know, the thing about Ultimate Spider-Man, as far as, like, decompression goes, I think there are way more decompressed Bendis comics that are clearly decompressed by editorial edict, which was the sort of Marvel style of the period of the early to mid-2000s. But Ultimate Spider-Man is kind of the most decompressed at the beginning, and so I think that's why it has that reputation, because it gets a lot more eventful later, like as it progresses. 
But those first six issues really stretch out the origin. And so it's, I, I think that can saddle it with a particular sense of being something that it's not, you know? Because yeah, how many people read that first trade of Ultimate Spider-Man? And then maybe not so much of the rest, you know? Hmm. It, it's funny to compare that because uh, obviously the uh, story in Amazing uh, 15 is, you know, like, what, what is it, like 15 pages? It, it's very short. <laughs> yeah. And then we have Bendis going six. And uh, I remember the paperback of that I had as a kid uh, had like a, a, a letter in the back or like an afterword. It might have been from Bill Jemis, I'm not sure. And it was uh, about uh, whoever the writer's uh, child was, was reading the issues and saying, you guys don't have to kill Uncle Ben, right? You know, we got some more issues, you could keep this going. (laughs) And it was kind of a really sad little uh, afterward of him going, well, no, he does have to die, but I'm glad you got to enjoy this extra time with him. (laughs) (laughs) It's, I, I guess the point I'm trying to make is how really impactful a first impression is in a comic book. Like what people first get from a title or a story or a character is what they're going to think of that title or story or character, even if it evolves into something else or, you know, I, I think, I think writers tend to have this sense of like, okay, we got to get through this origin stuff and then we can really start hitting, you know? Yeah. But if you lose them in that slow going at the beginning, you've lost them. Yeah, that was actually really informative, uh, that kind of thinking for how I wrote and uh, plotted initially the first issue of The Relentless Lark. Uh, I I realized I did not want to try to download any backstory uh, to the readers. I just was like... Let's just only give some context clues. They're going to get what the visuals and the iconography mean. The most impactful thing I know I can do as a writer is write situations that will allow my character to demonstrate who she is uh, from a personality standpoint and in terms of like what's important to her. Uh, so that's why it was action, because action through character. And the second issue, which is, uh, you know, I mentioned it's like a masquerade at a haunted mansion. You know, that's the chance where I'm going to have uh, the ability to deepen the understanding of the character because we have ghosts. And you can play with uh, literal ghosts and also the figurative ghosts of the past and really get into the background of the character. And we sort of just end up revealing more about her uh, for people who didn't read Young Offenders, uh, even things that people who read that book don't know are going to come up. But it's got to happen as we're telling the story and not right up front. Otherwise, I think I'm just going to bore people. Now, Mark, you're one of the people who we have on the show who is also a listener. Uh, I would, I would even say, fan of the show. I would too. So you know, you can't come on here and say I just read the entire Ultimate Universe. Oh boy! Not explain yourself. Uh, every now and then, I like to give myself a project. And, uh, uh-huh. Yeah, uh, look, and, and that, again, we've all been there. That was the one I wanted to do, and I'll tell you, my, my caveat is that I didn't read Ultimate Fantastic Four past two trades because it didn't matter, and it never mattered. Uh, it, it just didn't. Uh, the characters matter later, but that book was like a musical chairs. Uh, but I did read all of it. Ultimate Power was better than I thought it would be. 
that's via crossover with the Supreme Power Universe, which I'm no, also it currently wasn't. digging through. Mark, it was Mark, better than I thought. No way. <laughs> I didn't say good. Better than my expectations. <laughs> uh, all right, I I'll, I'll give it that. I look. I've been thinking a lot about the Ultimate Universe lately, and it to me, there's a very clear reason why one hero survived and one villain <laughs> survived. And the villain survived because the book he came from was bad. Ultimate read. The hero survived because he's the one good character from the ultimate universe. And that's miles. And like so much of like, I want to know what your highlights and lowlights were from that big reread because I definitely have had the thought recently of was like almost all of the ultimate universe bad actually <laughs> because, because it so much of it does not hold up in memory and so much of it is like ultimate iron man is so oh catastrophically terrible that that is a true uh, murderer's row of uh, talent that we do not want to talk about who wrote Ultimate Iron Man. Uh, like, if you think about who did the follow-up miniseries as well. Uh, yeah. Boy, howdy. Uh, what a cursed title. Uh, the, the, the lowlights are not what you think they are. It's, you know, we, we've all ragged on Ultimatum correctly, but that's also just kind of like a very sad book because of, like, the circumstances behind it. The, the real tragedy is actually uh, Ultimate Origins, uh, where uh, Bendis and other writers come in and they try to retrofit some new continuity in place and like create a new direction for the Ultimate, ultimate Universe. And that just kind of smothers the baby in the bathwater at that point. There's no chance it can get out from under the impact of making Nick Fury Power Man and also making him rob... Uh, vaults in world war ii france with william wilson fisk like there's just things you can't come back from like the hulk killing peter parker's parents it, it just gets a little silly <laughs> at that point <laughs> oh did you forget that one? <laughs> oh man if i if i ever knew that i did not know it at the start of this phone call yeah you know, nick I, fury actually picks up peter after that and is like i'll protect you with my life and then he doesn't <laughs> it definitely dropped the ball on that one yeah, well, even you know, though I, he cries to Mary Jane about it later. I, I'll tell you something from the Ultimate Universe that I remember that no one else did, including the other people writing Ultimate books, which was the Ultimate Team Up book. Uh huh. Yes. The the one that was immediately non-canon. Yeah, because it introduced an Iron Man that was totally different from the Iron Man who then showed up in the Ultimates. Like, they tried to maybe tried to make that the same character, but it's, like, a whole different guy. Yeah, there's a Fantastic Four that, like, uh, what, what is his, uh, Jim Mafu drew, right? Yeah. yeah. Like, so much of that early, those early tries to do, like, the Ultimate versions of characters then just get pasted over when other people come on and want to do their things. And it, it's, it's very so much, weird. Yeah, it's totally that thing where they're like, oh yeah, we don't actually have plans to do this. Do whatever you want. 
And then it's like, wait, how much is Ultimate X Men selling? Oh, uh, uh, okay. Yeah, look, you know, maybe maybe we go back and do a new Punisher and a new Fantastic Four. Uh, you know, they, they just completely seem to not know how big that thing was because, I mean, the the way I just re- remembered the reason I started reading Ultimate Marvel is uh. You know, you, you kind of chain over from one thing to another in this horrible hobby of uh, back issues. And uh, I started by rereading Hickman's Avengers. And then I thought, oh, there's a lot of new universe stuff in here. Let me read the new universe. And then I was like, oh, the Ultimate Universe is kind of the attempt to do that again. So I'm going to skip New Universal and go to Ultimate Marvel instead. <laughs> uh, and I got on that. And that was, yeah. Ultimate Ultimate Adventures and Ultimate Team Up were two books that just come way early and just get papered over. And then writers continue to paper over each other throughout the entire rest of the uh, the continuity. I mean, there's at least three different guys who they introduce who are the first Hulk. Uh, it's so weird to like think about, you know, 2005, 2006, the, the worst time to be reading comics. Uh, and how much discussion there was about like, oh yeah, like the ultimate universe should just replace the regular universe. And then how in retrospect, like how funny that is. (laughs) Yes. With the benefit of hindsight, reading ultimates and ultimates too, Mark Miller is clearly having a laugh about the entire concept. He's like trying to do starship troopers I mean, for God's sakes, Captain America fights like a guy with a lightsaber while the United States is being invaded. It's it's so clearly meant to be tongue-in-cheek uh, that there's no way you could try to actually spin real characterization out of those those presentations. Okay, so you're saying you're saying all that was on purpose? Oh no, 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 no. I I'm saying okay. there was definitely <laughs> there was definitely an intention. <laughs> but I'm also saying I don't think he lands every punch he tries to throw, you know? It's uh, by the time he gets to Ultimate Avengers and then Ultimate Avengers versus Ultimate Ultimates, you know, the plot has been lost. Yeah. I I I have a theory. I've long had a theory that Ultimates was the result of Bill Jibbus saying to Mark Miller, do the authority, but with the real Avengers. I mean, obviously. Yeah. And make sure Brian draws it. Yes. And that's what, that was Mark Miller trying to do that. And some of it was tongue in cheek, but some of it was like, I guess I'm doing this. Like, (laughs) I mean, I don't even think that's a theory. Matt, because Mark Miller had just come off a run on the authority <laughs> where the authority fought analogs for the Avengers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I'm sure I know that's why he got hired to do that. Like, that's definitely why he got hired to do that job uh, and write that book. But yeah. it's, yeah, it's wild. Like, what's funny is the funniest thing about all of that is. Marvel isn't the company that made its universe the ultimate universe. DC was. Because the new 52 <laughs> is ultimate DC. Absolutely. 100%. It's so funny. Yeah. I My project sometime last year was doing all the new 52 Justice League titles. Uh, and that was quite a journey, too. Uh, Forever Evil. That's a, that's a book right there. Uh, 
Mad Mad that's like your favorite comic, right? There's one funny joke in it. <laughs> <laughs> oh. You're right, though. That is that, that joke is a Mark Miller-type joke where you're like, he knows it's funny, but some people will not understand that it's meant to be funny, and it makes you question yeah. the whole endeavor. I mean, yeah. when Captain America says, does this letter stand for France, you know that's funny. When he later cries because a bunch of punks like broke his old records, that's meant to be serious, and it makes you kind of question what else is meant to be serious. It's It's definitely, like, I have read so many comics many of which are by a particular comics creator where I, I have said on this show, if I knew that you thought it was funny, <laughs> like if I knew that, that the creators thought this was funny when they made it, I would be able to deal with it more than I can. Oh boy. That, that was my feeling I when I recently took three days to read all the Tom King written Batman comics. It's a wild ride, isn't it? Uh, there are some high points, and I, I think the first year is really strong. And then after a while, I'm just like, I guess we're doing this. It's it's weirdly post morality. Like uh, it, like it just complete. <laughs> you, you know what I mean about this, though, right? Like, no, I know, that, no, I'm laughing because that's the perfect way to describe it. Yeah, it's by the time you get to Batman dating Catwoman and her decorating her Christmas tree with the Joker. Uh, not a reference to Holiday Heat. Uh, you are like, okay, so she dates Batman, but sh- her best friend is a mass murderer, and he is planning a mass murder. And you just have to accept that we are not meant to actually engage with the morality of anything. And this is just like a Greek tragedy type thing about like weird people who have to make choices and whether or not Batman's feelings are hurt at the end or not. Tom King writing post-morality comics – if that doesn't sell you on Marco Stack being one of the preeminent minds of the current generation of independent comics, I don't know what will. Uh, and with that, I think we do need to kick it over to our listeners to see what questions they might have for you. Uh, Matt, if listeners want to get in on these conversations that we have uh, with people like Marco Stack, how exactly can they get in on that? Well, Chris, there used to be this website called Twitter, and... <laughs> Huh. Some people don't remember it. It was a long time ago. In a barren wasteland, there was one place where you could reach out to others for connection. And make and that, that barren wasteland just a little bit worse. Yes. That <laughs> it place was, was called Twitter. Time. Now there's a different website called Twitter. I don't know what the <laughs> fuck it is. <laughs> It's it's it sucks even worse though. I don't I don't know how it happened. I I think the guy who runs it has something to do with it, but couldn't ask me. I'm barely on it anymore. But I guess if you want to ask a question of our guest, it's the place where you can still do that. You can go on there and follow uh, War Rocket Pod and wait until Thursday night at nine thirty p.m. Eastern time. That's six thirty Pacific time. And uh, you can ask a question there. We also have a Discord where you can ask questions, and that might be the better place to go. So if you want to hop over there, uh, you have to be invited to be on our Discord, but we hand out invitations to people who ask nicely for them. So 
uh, just ask us for an invitation and, and we'll get you one to the discord and you can ask questions for our guests there too. And, uh, you know, maybe that, maybe that would be a better choice. Uh, in fact, here is a question from our discord for Meriwether. Uh, Mark, you were, have written a bird themed comic. So Meriwether wants to know what are your top five birds? Uh, <clears throat> I really like sparrows. Uh, sparrows are good. Uh, owls are great uh, because they're noisy and kind of dumb. That's kind of the thing about them is their eyeballs take up more of their head than their brain does. Uh, so they're very stupid and that's kind of charming. Uh, <laughs> then there's like meadowlarks, hummingbirds, uh, which you know are everywhere here in Southern California. Uh, then uh, I think I need another bird. Uh, I'm also fond of the turkey because they scream and that's kind of charming too. Yeah. Okay. That's quite a list. I'll tell you, uh, I like I see like crows in my yard all the time, and I'm like, get out of here, crows! <laughs> but I'll tell you the birds that I see that get me hooting if I see them outside. A blue jay, love to see a blue jay, or like a nice, uh, not even one of the red cardinals. Like one of those brown and red cardinals. Beautiful bird. Those are some of my favorite birds. Is this the year we get fully into birding? I I would do it. My mom has a bird feeder in her backyard that she watches all day. And she's it makes her so happy. And I'm like, I want that. Yeah. Yeah, it seems nice, doesn't it? Yeah. It just seems nice. Yeah. Uh, here's a question from Twitter from Hot Spring Summer. This is a cue for everybody. What's your favorite fan iteration of a DC character? Uh, they say they haven't stopped dreaming of uh, Jordan Gibson's Showa era Batgirl fan art. Which is very I mean, good. I would back that one for sure. Uh, Jordan. Gibson has great ideas. Yes. Yeah. I, I remember seeing his stuff on like Project Roof Project Rooftop all the time and it was always killer. Uh so he's doing he's doing Batman animated now, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Making Man, like awesome title title cards for the comics in the style of Batman the animated series. It rules. That is Jordan's awesome. great. I, yeah. I will embarrass Chris for a moment and say uh Batman three thousand uh, that pitch has lived in my head rent free for every day since I've seen it. Just the idea. Talking about, uh, talking about Planet Lazarus, uh, the, the name of that story arc that uh, yeah that we, we put the pitch up for. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I genuinely thought that was cool, uh, and it has stuck with me for a long time. That that is almost entirely because uh, Gonzo did such a great job with the art. Oh, definitely about that pitch. Like, well, you didn't have to agree that fast. <laughs> I'm, I'm just trying to do whatever embarrasses you less from receiving a compliment. Okay. Right. No, I've never been embarrassed by receiving a compliment. <laughs> I know it's great. Uh, I mean, it's basically uh, just the the regular Doom Patrol, but but Benito and Kyle's Doom Patrol, yeah, uh, is is outstanding. I, I I that always springs to mind for me. The fact that that 
and Steve sucks real bad. Uh-huh. He's not like a canon DC evaluation <laughs> of Mento. Always, it doesn't seem right to me. Like, that should be in those comics. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they were called the Dome Patrol, right? I believe so. There might have been an umlaut. Yeah. Uh, all right. Our next question uh, is from Stone Cold HCC. Woo! An account that exists only to ask questions on War Rocket Ajax. They're back. He's back. Is he? He anna- he has announced, I'm back. <laughs> Sent out the facts. They are just two words. <laughs> and I've been thinking up some very some real serious questions. Instead of making a podcast, how come y'all don't donate money to stop crime? <laughs> I mean, we actually do. <laughs> yeah. We we do and we make a podcast. There's this if you if you pay attention to the story, there's the War Rocket Ajax Foundation that is our charity that we donate money to. I mean, that particular one is just a tax shelter that we use to launder money. <laughs> uh, but, you know, personally, we've we've thought about it. Yeah. I just think it's like who every person who makes that argument about Batman does it has never heard of the Wayne Foundation, which was like, which has been a part of Batman for sixty years, if yeah, not yeah. longer. And you know, you can solve all those issues you want with money, but someone's got to punch Two Face when he tries to rob the bank on February second, twenty twenty two. Like, it just needs to happen. Now, does it need yeah. to happen to protect the bank's property? No, but there are people there who might get hurt. So you know, fuck his shit up. It is something very specific to Gotham City and the world that Batman lives in, where that is the way you deal with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> folks, folks, the the problems in the world have to be able to be solved by Batman, because his name's on the cover. And if that's not the story you want to read, that's cool, but that's the price of admission. I got about a hundred issue long run you can read if you want to see Batman not solve problems. <laughs> <laughs> oh, absolutely brutal uh, I actually kind of like that run a lot I don't know why I'm being so mean about it <laughs> uh, The new 52 pickup artist On our discord Asks What makes the lark such a relentless bird What inner turmoil drives it to keep flying Through the storm rather than give up And return to the comfort of its nest And family of larklings Hmm well, I'm going to choose to interpret that as a chance to explain my book, uh, which uh, yeah. you can currently back uh, on Kickstarter. Uh, $5 gets you the first issue, and that's already done. Uh, but uh, uh, the, the Relentless uh, moniker was chosen because I knew I wasn't going to try and write the toughest character or the smartest character, but I did want to write the most stubborn character, uh, and that seemed like a real way to go with that type. Because I love those 1980s uh, Batman comics where a regular guy can actually like get a decent hit on Batman, and then he's got to regulate a little bit with a car battery in that Jim Starlin issue. I mean, this, that's a much talked about issue on this podcast, but it is generally one of my favorite back issues that I have uh, because that was just an era where Batman couldn't do everything. And I like that 1980s milieu uh, before we fully accepted that every vigilante type character could handle any problem in two panels. Listen, you're, you're narrow casting, but you don't have to convince us. <laughs> 
specifically. But it's almost like people who might enjoy listening to this podcast would also enjoy characters that just don't know when to quit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I give you props for coming up with a new comics title descriptor. Because I don't, th- I haven't seen Relentless before. Oh, in a, in a title, I know there's been a there. There must have been a Relentless somewhere. I, I, I can't have gotten there first. But it, the the question is always not if it's a good adjective, but does it pair well with the uh, the thing you're trying to modify? Like I don't think you yeah. could do. Uh, I don't know the. Re- the relentless wild dog. Well, actually, shit, you could. You could do that one. Yeah, that would actually be the most appropriate one in that case. Yeah, because you can't publish shit kicking on a cover. Uh. <laughs> I can't think of another instance of relentless. So, I I, I applaud you for uh, some originality on the on the adjective there. Uh. Another Twitter question comes from Robert Secundus, who says, Mark superheroes feel fresh to me in a way few do today. Could he speak to his process for taking a classic archetype and finding some way to make it feel new? Uh, a, a lot of this really comes down to influences. I mean, I mentioned Bendis earlier, and Ultimate Spider-Man is pretty formative for me. Uh, and then if you know someone's read my other work, they might be able to tell that uh, the series Invincible... Uh, by Kirkman, uh, Walker, and uh, Otley is also pretty influential. And then I'm also a big fan of like writers like Steve Englehart. And one thing that kind of unifies this disparate bunch is they play the absurdity of the situations, but they always play the emotional reality of the characters as 100% authentic. And I think it's that kind of uh, that contrast, that kind of dichotomy that makes a superhero character uh, unique or exciting or engaging because they take something completely absurd and they engage with it as authentically as they're able to. Uh, so I kind of approach it that way where I'm attempting to maintain a legitimate through line of character, uh, even as they fly to space to fight like a, uh, you know, Mayan death God words to live by. Stay true to yourself. Even as you fight a Mayan death God, (laughs) Marco stack, we always enjoy having you on to talk to us on the show. Uh, please let our listeners know where they can back the relentless Lark and where they can find you and your work. All right. So depending on when you're listening to this, this Kickstarter might still be running. It's running until February 17th. Uh, that's the relentless Lark. We got digital and we got print. You can also find me on a website uh, that currently uh, killed and then skinned and then started to wear the skin of Twitter uh, as at Marco stack uh, that's Mark and Stack. You know they're nouns and verbs. There's an O in the middle. Pretty easy to find. Our guest has been Marco Stack. You can find the Relentless Lark on Kickstarter, crowdfunding platform, and you should back it. Uh, Mark, it is always a an absolute pleasure to have you come on the show and just talk about what you're doing and the stuff that we all like. It's a pleasure to be on. Uh, honestly, it's a great time chatting. Thanks once again to Marco Stack for joining us. Always a pleasure to talk to that guy. Uh, go check out The Relentless Lark on Kickstarter. Get that book. Give Mark the Ajax bump once again. Show him that we care. Chris, I think we're out of time. Uh, we do not have time to get raw on the show this week. 
But next week, next week, it's going to be all raw. It is. Matt, we are kicking it off. Folks, welcome to Thursday Night Raw. It's happening. <laughs> you backed off of it. Well, I was gonna like it's it's late. I was gonna do the whole like, ladies and gentlemen. We'll save it for next week. We'll, we'll save it for we'll, next week. Look, always leave them wanting more. That's what I say. That's right. But know for a fact that next week it'll be a full interview segment of ranking the rawest moments in comics. Thursday Night Raw. You should be excited because I am. I am. I'm hyped for it. Yeah, it's going to be great. And uh, come back and check it out next week. But in the meantime, if you want to email us a Thursday Night Raw submission or an Every Story Ever list or uh, something else you want to sponsor the show, maybe, you can email us at warrocketpodcast at gmail.com. You can also tweet at us at WarRocketPod. You can send us questions on Tumblr at WarRocketPodcast.tumblr.com. Or you can join our Discord, which I mentioned earlier. You have to be invited to be a part of, but you can just ask us for an invitation. Easy enough. You can also check out our website, which is WarRocketAjax.com. It has every episode of the show that we've ever done. WarRocketWiki.com is the fan-run repository of all the information you can need about WarRocket Ajax. Uh, so go check that out. It's got lists. It's got info about me and Chris and Harrison and Matt Fraction and the Good Hat. All that stuff is there. Does it have does it have, Wiki. does it have a Good Hat on there yet? I haven't looked yet, but hopefully I gotta, I gotta it will be soon. There will be a good hat on War Rocket Wiki. If you want to find me and my stuff, I'm at mattdwilson.net. That's where you can find links to my books, my comics, my other podcasts, and my social medias. Chris, where can people find you? Everybody can find me by going to the-isb.com. That is my website, and it's got links to all the stuff that I do. We'll be back next week, and we're going to get raw. We are. We're going to get pretty raw next week. Join us for that. Have a good week, everybody. And remember, Black Lives Matter. Trans rights are human rights. Abortion rights are human rights. And cops. They just keep proving that they're not your friends. But we love you. But we love you. Flash.